welcome back to the Hidden Jewels podcast. You guys, I am so excited for you to hear this interview with our friend Kimberly. After we got done, I talked to my husband and I was trying to just tell the story to him. And y'all, I could not get through it without crying. I am so excited for you to hear this. This is going to move you and it will encourage you that God is the restorer of our souls. Let's get to it. Kimberly, welcome to the Hidden Jewels podcast. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Yay, welcome, Kimberly. I'm super glad you're here too. I can't wait to hear more about God's faithfulness in your life. Yeah, we are getting to interview another amazing woman who wears a crown from Miss Senior America. Kimberly is Miss Texas Senior America this year. Yes, for another couple of weeks. And okay. she's been rocking it. <laughs> I've been having a blast. God has opened up many, many pathways for me to travel this past 15 months that I've had the crown. And I'm I'm just a little overwhelmed right now to look back at the entire process, but it's it has been nothing short of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's our good God. Oh, over and above all that we can hope or imagine, huh? That's yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, as we've been chatting before we hit record, you talked about your journey to the crown and that being more than just this last year. And so we are really excited to hear your story, the broad journey to the crown, to where you are today. And, And you also just mentioned that God has promised to use your story and that your desire is to just be honest, right? And so um, I'm excited for this platform for you. Um, for your story to be heard, uh, because that's what we're here for. We want our stories to bless the younger generation so that they can learn from us. Um, I'm, I consider myself younger, and that's um, one of my greatest joys is just to sit here and learn from you um, and how God's been faithful to you. So Kimberly, just kick it off your journey to the crown today. You can start from Early well, and you can, or... and you can, Kimberly, you can talk about the crown that you literally wear on your head or the crown that you know you've been given in your heart. Either way, anyway. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to try to get through this without, without too many uh, emotional tears going forth. I'll cry with you. That's okay. Yeah. Seeing as I've just written my farewell speech for Miss Texas, it has been an emotional week. So <clears throat> I, my journey to this particular point in my life. And yes, the journey to the crown, as we say, I know early on before I started this, that the crown wasn't necessarily here, it was here. And the crown has been given to us with no strength attached by Jesus Christ, the crown of eternal life. And I I realize that and I understand that and so, the earthly crowns and the earthly material things that we strive for every day are just added in there. But the one thing that really happens is when we transform our hearts to create that, that, that royal connection that we have with, with Christ and his kingdom. So let me back up a little bit. Well, and I want to let the listeners know, because if they're not listening to us on video, 
when you said it goes from here to here that you're talking about the crowns that we have on our head versus the crowns we have in our heart. Oh, they're not seeing me. Okay. <laughs> well, they might be, they could be driving down the road listening to you. Yeah, the crown, yeah, no. not, not the physical crown that goes on your head, but the but the spiritual crown that you gain in your life by, by growing daily with yeah. Christ. I became a Christian early on in my life. I became a Christian when I was a teenager and I walked the aisle and I was baptized in the church, but I really didn't have a whole lot of an idea about what it was that I was doing. My childhood was very broken. I was born in a home for unwed mothers and I was adopted soon thereafter by an older couple who, when I was nine years old, my mother died of cancer. And when I was 14 years old, my father died of a heart attack. So by the time I was 14, I was left an orphan. But that was the time that I had just become a Christian. And so I was really, really floundering. And I got thrown into a very broken foster system uh, for a couple of years, bouncing from house to house and not really having any roots. And in Florida, when you're 18, when you turn 18, you're considered an adult. So you are emancipated and you age out of the system. Thankfully, I was at college. And so I was just, I just stayed in the dormitory year round and just lived up there at the college where I was getting my degree. But I knew I wanted to sing. And I worked really hard at, at starting my singing career, as it were, when I was right after my father passed away, I used the trust fund that I had and I went and I got voice lessons and started studying. And when I went to college, I wanted to be a singer. I wanted to be a voice performance major. I actually wanted to sing opera. Mm. I didn't really have the chops to do that. <laughs> and I was I was discouraged from taking that path, but I was pretty determined and I did it anyway. And I kind of pulled myself up by my bootstraps and did it anyway. And I graduated from Carson Newman University, which is in Tennessee. I graduated there in 1979 with a vocal performance and pedagogy degree. How did you get from Florida to Tennessee? Well, that's a really good question. I, my minister of music at my church that I grew up in, he was a, a, graduate of Carson Newman University and it's a Baptist university and it's a small it's a small university so I I didn't want a huge I did not want a huge pond I wanted to be a big fish in a little pond if you can get the analogy there yeah yeah, yeah. instead of a little tiny fish in a big pond <laughs> okay so Kimberly did you have any siblings that you were aware of no I didn't okay. Okay, so you did not have any reason to go anywhere other than where God planted you, and that was Tennessee for college to major in vocal. Yes. Okay, so that's yes. how you got to Tennessee. Yeah, that's how I got to Tennessee. And uh, interestingly enough, when I was at Carson Newman, I was working on getting some other scholarships. So I entered the Miss Carson Newman pageant, and I won. And subsequently, it fed me into the Miss Tennessee pageant, which I didn't win. <laughs> So you started pageantry in your 20s? Well, I yeah, I would not call it starting pageantry. I kind of did this just to get a scholarship. And I had no idea what I was doing. Literally, I did not know how to put makeup on. I mean, I didn't have makeup on. I didn't know how to do the eyelashes, nothing. I mean, I walked out there. And in fact, on the 
at the swimsuit competition at Miss Tennessee, I tripped over a microphone cord and I almost fell into the judges table. So you might, you got to understand this was not me. (laughs) I know it was horrible, but I recovered. Yeah. 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 In a swimsuit in high heels to trip is traumatic. It was. And, and to beat it all, I had a beach ball in my hand. And as soon as I tripped, the beach ball did bounce into the judge's table. Oh, my goodness. You can, you can hear the collective gasp in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you graduate from college with your degree in? Vocal performance and pedagogy okay. with a minor in uh, theater and piano. So I... I, and they told me, they said that, well, this is about a five or six year degree. And I said, well, I don't have any place to go during the summer. So I'm just going to go to summer school and I'm just going to finish it. So I did. I finished it in four years, which uh, I felt like was a pretty decent accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But I figured since I'm living on campus and I'm paying for it, I might as well just go ahead and take some classes and finish it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So when after I, you graduated, where, where did you go? Well, I, w- I started touring with a group called Jeremiah People. They're based in Thousand Oaks, California, and they're a music and drama group. They uh, travel on a bus. It's a, it's a group of eight singers and performers and one sound tech. And they travel uh, across the country from shore to shore, uh, singing and uh doing like little theatrical productions that they set up and they do it in churches, in schools, college universities, auditoriums, community centers, anywhere that they would book us. And we, we literally, we had out of a week, we would have six bookings and then we'd have one night off. So it was a pretty grueling schedule. And interestingly enough, since I majored in vocal performance, I would wanted to sing opera But when they told me that in order to be qualified for the Met, I was going to have to go and get a graduate degree and likely master's and a doctorate degree in vocal performance. I said, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you didn't like school that much. You like singing, but you didn't like school, huh? I didn't. So (laughs) I left and I got on the road with Jeremiah people. I traveled with them for two years. And when I finished with my with my tenure at, at with Jeremiah people, I moved out to California because that's where they were based. I had networked friends through this particular group. And so that kind of flung me to California, seeing as I didn't have any roots. I just packed up my little U-Haul and just drove out there. Wow. Wow. I love it. So tell us about the next part of your life. The next part of my life. Well, that's a real, that's, this is a real God thing and it's going to sound really weird, but I moved out to California and I rented the basement of this family that was going to this church that I was involved in. I got involved in a church out there and they were, they were big wigs in the church and they had a basement. They said, come on, let's just rent our basement. We won't charge you an arm and leg and you can get on your feet. So I did that. And about six months after I had been there, I sort of had a little meltdown because I realized I was out of college and I was renting a basement in somebody's home and I had no direction, no family. 
I felt like there wasn't anybody that cared about me at all in the world. And I really seriously had a little bit of a breakdown. And in talking to this family, the husband and the wife, they prayed with me and they wrapped their arms around me and they sort of embraced me. About two or three weeks later, they came back to me after they had prayed about it and said, we feel God is leading us to adopt you. Oh, wow. And so this family, which had five grown children and 18 grandchildren at the time, asked to adopt me legally and... So we marched our little selves into the L.A. family courthouse and we signed papers and I changed my name. It was Kimberly Munton and now it was Kimberly Bjork. How old were you? I was 23. And this family asked to adopt you at 23 years old. Yes. What did that mean to you, Kimberly? Well, you know, I first of all, I thought it was a little strange, but they wanted me to have roots. They wanted me to have family. They wanted me to have somebody, a center as it was. And because of my childhood and the foster homes and because my my first father was incredibly abusive to me, I was so struggling with a relationship with God the Father if that makes any sense to you, it just absolutely the parental aspect of God's love to me didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And there was a huge breakdown in that. And, and Dave Bjork came to me, he's the father. He came to me and he said, I want to show you a manifestation of the father's love for you. I want you to know that there is nothing you can do or say that will ever remove us from your life. Mm-hmm. and it it was the start of healing that I didn't even know I needed mm. quite quite frankly I didn't even know I needed that kind of healing and it was the start of that mm. beautiful I love that mm. you had no idea of the parental aspect of God's love so you've been adopted at 23 next steps tell us well, the next step is I got married, so I changed my name again. I think this, I think the social security office was real tired of me by this time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How old were you when you got married? I was 23. It was six months after I got adopted that I got married. Okay. And I got married to a, a, a man that was involved in, a young man that was involved in our church, and he was very popular. He had a great voice. We did a lot of singing together. We lived out in Thousand Oaks for a long time, and my two children were born out there. My two, I have two boys, and they were both born out there. In 1991, he took a job as a minister of music in a Baptist church here in Texas, and so we moved from California to Texas in 1991. Okay. I'm sorry, 1990. I always get that date wrong. 1990. And... Unfortunately, when we got to Texas, our our lives really started to grow apart. And uh, I he took me away from my family, the Bjorks. Yeah. And it was really a hardship for me. Uh, I was I, I began to question 
I think everybody does this, but I began to question why God had brought me out here to Texas and so far away from the family that was helping me to heal because it just kind of split us apart, split me apart from everybody at that point. Mm -hmm. And we separated in 1992 and we got divorced in 1994. So this was a progression. I mean, this happened. I went on a downward spiral from the moment that I moved to Texas. Mm. And at at the time the the, the divorce happened, I didn't really want the divorce, but I needed something from my husband that I wasn't getting. And it was really throwing me into kind of a mental state. I went into a really deep, dark depression. And because of that, I turned to alcohol and drugs. Mm. And it was a really long period of wandering in the wilderness for me. Mm. At one point, I even found myself homeless because I didn't have any money and I didn't have anywhere to go. And where were, what were, uh, were the uh, Bjorks aware of your state at the time? Well, I, because of my depression and because of the choices that I've made, I, I was very, very ashamed of myself. And so I did not talk with them. But they were communicating with me through my ex-husband. They knew where he lived and they would send him cards or little notes of encouragement to me all the way through this period of time. And it was about 17 years that I just could not find my way up out of the darkness. Mm. And there was one time, and this is, this is did really- you, Did you say 17 years? 17 years, yes. Mm. 17 what years. story you are. 17 years of stupidity, which was really, you know, first couple of knocks, you, you just figured that you're going to get back up, but then you just don't. Yeah, but I'll tell you, that convinces me that the hound dog of heaven has found you, redeemed you, restored you, and has a story for you to tell. Yes. Because- I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit. In the middle of that 17 years, there was, uh, I, I told you I had no contact with the Bjorks personally. It was only through these little letters that, that he kept sending me. But there was one day that I was so lost in despair that I attempted suicide. I took an entire bottle of sleeping pills with an entire bottle of vodka. And it was on, it was on November 6th, 1994, about a month after the divorce was final. And I remember falling asleep in the bed and I woke up at 4 a.m. And the reason that I know it was 4 a.m. is because my clock was right there. And I woke up with the start and I looked at the clock and it said 4 a.m. And I ran to the bathroom and I threw it up. And when I threw it up, all of the pills came up whole. So... I mean, and this sounds really disgusting, but then about a week later, I got a card in the mail from my dad and it said, at the top, it said, November 6, 2 a.m. God woke your mom and I up from a deep sleep and asked us to pray for you specifically. I do not know what's going on, but we got on our knees and we prayed for you. And it's two hours earlier in California, two o'clock a.m. on November 6th was when God woke me up and I was able to get rid of all the toxins in my body. Mm. I am full of goosebumps. (laughs) I am full of goosebumps. Okay, so wait a minute. 
Uh, this attempted suicide was in what year? 1994. But that's when you got divorced. Yes, it was right after I got divorced. Oh, okay. And the miracle that saved your life, unbelievable. God's got such greatness planned for you. Well, you since this podcast is about his faithfulness, I figured I needed to tell that story. It's unfortunate that my brain did not compute all of that for a, a long time yet, but God was still, he was still beckoning at my door. Uh, the Bjork stayed really, really faithful. So, it but they were, but they were unaware of any of what was really going on, right? They didn't know. No. So, so you get this letter and you know, God touched them to touch you and is doing something but you still stay out of touch with them for a while yes i did okay. okay i just the the aspect of shame that i went through because of all of that and because of the choices that i was making i just it, until i was able to get out of it i just didn't want to i didn't want to admit to anything i was still hiding i was still wandering in the wilderness for quite a while longer another 14 years actually it was in October of 2008, when I found out I was going to be a grandmother, that I looked at myself in the mirror when it was, and it was right around the end of October, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, I don't want my grandson to look at me like this. I was, I looked like a drug addict. I was about 96 pounds and I, teeth had started to fall out of my head. My my eyes were sunken and I said, I don't want, I don't want my grandchild to see me like this. I want to be able to watch my grandchildren grow up. Mm -hmm. And I, I got on my knees and I asked God to help me. I said, if you're still there, God, would you please help me? I don't know, even know if you still love me, but would you, would you help me? And I remember falling asleep that night and I got up the next morning and I threw all the drugs out. I threw the alcohol down the drain and I opened the Bible to the one scripture that I knew would give me comfort. And it is Psalm 23, where it says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. Mm -hmm. He makes me to lie down in green, calm pastures. He leaves me beside still and calm waters. He restores my soul. And the words restores my soul rang really true to me. And that's when God told me, he said, you know what? I've always loved you. I have never left you. I've always been here. But you have to understand life with me is like a relationship. If you don't want to see me or talk to me, then we can't be close. But if you make an effort, I will always be there. And so I told him, I said, I will meet you for coffee every morning then. Mm -hmm. So I would sit down with my coffee, my Bible and my journal, and I would just start writing. And I didn't know where to go in the Bible or anything, but I would just read something. I would just read something so that I could hear his voice. Mm. And it was a day by day thing. But after 14, 15, 16 years of addiction, I finally walked a sober and clean path. Mm. And so at that moment, I called my mom and dad 
and I asked them if I could come for a visit. And they said, yes. So I got to the airport, I rented a car and I drove out to their house and I was scared to death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, didn't know what, what they, I knew they had been in contact with my ex-husband. I knew they'd gotten the story from him, but they had not heard from me or anything. And I was scared to death. I was so ashamed. Mm-hmm. And I pulled up to their house and I got out of the car and my mom is standing in the middle of the road with her arms open wide and my dad in a wheelchair because he'd had a stroke and they embraced me and we cried for an hour. And there was, it was like nothing I had ever done had ever mattered. The only thing that mattered was that moment right there. And from that moment on, God gave me the most precious parents I could ever have imagined. Wow. It's so the prodigal story. Yes. Running home into the arms of your loving parent. You said, I did not know the parental aspects of God's love. And then you run into the arms of parents that have been waiting and longing just like the Lord waits and longs for yeah. a relationship. You said, the Lord said, do you life with me as a relationship girlfriend? Yes. <laughs> but also something else I want to say is I want the listeners to be sure to hear, because I'm familiar with so many life stories like this, um, that shame made you hide. Mm-hmm. It did. And- And the love of your parents didn't make you hide. Shame made you hide. And shame is a liar. It is. And so you hid for, did you say 14 years? I hid, I hid behind. Yes, I hid, I hid, I hid from everybody. Yeah, well, it was shame that made you hide. But you know what that teaches? That reminds me, Kimberly, shame makes all of us a liar. Shame Mm -hmm. is the liar. And then all of a sudden our shame makes us less than who we are Mm -hmm. and you had all this huge call on your life and and you were hearing the voice of shame which of course is clearly the voice of the enemy and when you heard the whisper of your father through the potential uh uh the cognition that you did not want your grandchild to have you as a grandmother what yes and you decided your grand child deserved more than who you were and you went to him and cried out this is such a great story <laughs> yes Kimberly okay. what would you what would you say to parents that are uh agonizing as your parents were for those years what would you say to them well I know that God allowed them the ability to never give up on me mm-hmm. I know that they prayed for me every day. And I have a son right now who is really, really struggling. Mm-hmm. And he has been struggling in, with addiction for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he was actually around me when I was when I was struggling in addiction. Mm-hmm. And he saw how God lifted me out of that. So, and he tells me that all the time. He says, I know, mom, that you that you had the strength to stop smoking and to stop doing your drugs and to stop drinking. I, I saw you do it. I saw you do it. He says, I just don't have the strength. 
And I told him, I said, well, the one thing that God has always taught me is he never wants us to do anything on our own strength. He always wants to be the stronger one. And when we are weak, that's when he comes in and he says, this moment is where I'm going to be glorified. Not because you were strong, but because you allowed me to be strong in that moment. And one thing that I feel like I would like for young people, young parents, young people that are struggling, young people that think, well, gosh, you know, I, I don't feel loved. You know, my parents kicked me out or I, well, for whatever reason, you have things that you that, that are clouding your judgment. And so what do you do? You run to what the world is offering because that's so easy. You run to the alcohol, you run to the drugs, you run to uh, addiction with sex or addiction with anything. Anything that is not the Holy Spirit's control in your life is an addiction. Absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And when when you find yourself wrapped in the claws of that, just remember that but parents, when you find your children are wrapped in the closet, that just remember God is faithful. Mm. He is faithful yeah. to do what he, his word promises he will do. His word says, I will restore unto you that which the locusts have eaten. Mm-hmm. Everything that the locusts have eaten. Yeah. And he did that to me. When I came out of my addiction, I had no voice. I had ruined my voice mm. and I wanted to sing again. And I asked the Lord to restore me. Mm. And I went and I began teaching voice. I couldn't sing very well, but I began teaching voice because I remembered, I remembered the aspects of how to do that. Yeah. And I, it just started to help me to hear these voices that I was helping. So I thought, okay, well, this is how God's going to restore me. I'm not going to be able to sing, but I'm going to be able to help other people sing. Mm -hmm. And when I made a choice to be a part of the pageant, I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing opera because that was where my love was. And I went to a teacher. I went to a fellow colleague and I asked, I said, can I possibly get my chops back? And he said, Well, you don't have permanent damage, but it's going to take you a very long time to be able to sing again like that. And I prayed about it and I said, okay, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God instead. Mm -hmm. So at the moment at the pageant at nationals during preliminaries, when I was able to sing my song, on that national prestigious stage, when I came off, I realized I had just sung better than I had ever sung in my life. Mm. And that moment, no matter what else happened in the pageant, that moment was my crown. That was what God gave me. He gave me back and he said, look, I have restored that which the locusts ate. Mm. Even though the locusts were your own doing, that doesn't matter you allowed me to work in your life and I gave you this moment. And I realized then that that was, that was my winning moment. Well, and you know what, that has to be enough. Yet we have life dreams and life's open goals, but I got to tell the listeners this. 
I've been a big fan of Kimberly and uh, I never have heard you perform, but I knew you heard me perform because you came to my, my event and I, I, I didn't come to yours. And so uh, I wanted to hear you sing and nobody knows that we really, it was hard for us to get in the right places at the right time to hear people sing live. And I was in the bathroom and I didn't realize that Kimberly was up, but I was either going to watch her on a live camera on my phone, or I was going to somehow sneak in the back of the room, which was kind of a, <laughs> kind of a no-no for us. So I realized, oh my gosh, Miss Texas is up there. I go flying up these steps. You know the steps I'm talking about. Yes. I go flying up the steps. I open that back door like I, sh like I wasn't supposed to. I didn't give a rip. <laughs> and you are singing your last note and you were like I mean you are so but I heard going up the steps I heard the last few notes but I opened the door you bring the house down the place erupts and there was <laughs> something in you you did something like I just sat there going I just caught a moment but it seems to be a moment because there was something about you that I guess you received your crown. I did. And, and one of the things that they're going, if, if there's nothing more than that moment that I saw, now I hear, now I know the story behind it. Yes. And the, the aspect is when God restored my voice all the times before, I never really felt that. I felt like my voice had to be my work, my work, my work is all about, you know, even though I would sing gospel music and I would say I'd give him the glory and I did. But now when I sing, I feel God's presence in my life really, really strong. You know, it's just like a washing of the Holy Spirit over me when I start to sing. And so I remember one of my friends said, you know, you you were not nervous at all because your hands were just like this and they weren't shaking, you know. And I thought, no, I wasn't nervous. And I'm not ever nervous when I'm singing anymore because I, I really feel God's presence in there allowing me that moment. And oh, I love that you feel the total flow of him through you. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and honestly, I, I, I crave to be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere I go. For you to crave to be the mouth of the voice, of the words, of the song, of the story, that shouldn't make us nervous. It should make us excited and honored. Yeah, very exciting. And, and, you know, every time that I have gone during this past year, when I've gone as Miss Texas to someplace, I've asked God to give me feet of clay so that when I am walking into a scenario that I'm moldable mm -hmm. and that I'm breathable, and that I don't have any preconceived ideas about what it is I'm supposed to be doing here, that, that I can just allow God's spirit to move me to the right person to speak to or the right thing to say when I'm doing a keynote speech. And I've never been able to, to do speeches. <laughs> it's just been, it's just been, I mean, I can sing, but I can't. <laughs> well well girl I'm speaking against that on your behalf because honestly you have a story to tell you are a bright light of his redemption 
from now on, you are not going to fear anymore that you've got nothing to say and you don't know how to say it because girl, you are ready. And he calls us to stand ready. He tells us that we, he equips us for all that he's called us to do. He creates us fearfully and wonderfully, but then he assigns us, but then he equips us. And then he goes before us. He goes with us. Girl, from now on, I'm I'm going to pray for your microphone, not only for your voice, but for your words and that you will not fear your words, just like you don't fear your voice because you know your voice is from God. You know your voice has been redeemed and restored and you have got to have words to give account of that. And so you're going to be good from now on, girl. I'm just telling you. Amen. And, Amen. and, and receive that. Receive that. Receive no fear anymore in the name of Jesus for the story he's put in you and the words you're going to use, because you know, for a fact, Kimberly, you just told us that not only does he restore everything the locusts have eaten and he restored your voice, but he gave you a piece. I saw you mm -hmm. and you look like, come Lord Jesus. And then it just flowed. So just imagine that same come Lord Jesus every time you get a microphone mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to literally be a microphone this let me i do have a microphone however <laughs> this is a microphone for you kimberly this is going to be recorded and people are going to and you have to know kimberly i have not known this story do you realize any of our pageant sisters that want to hear this story is getting ready to hear how much jesus gave you the crown in the moment mm -hmm. i'm hoping that 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 helps people out in their pursuit of their dreams because in your pursuit of your dreams you have this path all all mapped out already and I think I mentioned this earlier you have this path all mapped out you say okay God I'm so excited I'm gonna go get this for you I'm gonna go do this for you I'm gonna go do this for you you're in control I got I know you got this and I know exactly what it's gonna look like yeah and you get one step on the journey and all of a sudden you've got the reins in your hands mm. and it goes way off course. Mm -hmm. And so I know that my life doesn't look very good when I try to take the reins away from God. So I've got to make sure that every day starts with just making sure it gets back into his hands. Yeah. While you and drink now, your coffee. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you, you have your coffee. You talk to the, you talk to God, you, you listen to him through the words of the, of the Bible, uh, through the words of somebody who has been anointed in a devotion or something where you can just really get your mindset. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is all about a mindset change. It is all about a mindset change. When I realized that God loved me so much that he not only gave his son to redeem me, but he also came back to my life to restore me. Mm. That my story, yes, it may sound unique, but everybody, everybody who has accepted Jesus Christ into their life has a story of redemption and of restoration. Every, every person has one and every story is very, very vital to, to others. Oh, friends, isn't Kimberly's story just beautiful? What a picture of the Father's love for us. Steadfast, merciful, true, and faithful. If you have a prodigal, if you are a prodigal, 
If you are in need of redemption or restoration, we want to hear from you and we want to pray for you. So check out the show notes for ways to get in touch with Roxanne or myself and reach out and tell us what's your story. We want to pray with you and for you. And I love what Kimberly said, your story matters. And it's just like we say, you are a precious jewel in the eyes of Jesus. Your story matters. Let the world see you so they may see him. Mm